Well, in a couple of months, in fact, on January, January 18th to be exact, on January the 18th, uh, this church will celebrate our six-year anniversary of birth. It's our six-year birthday, everybody. And, um, and so really, we're just kind of a, just a step above toddler. How many know what, how many look around and go, we're a big toddler? How many know what I'm saying, right? And just look what God has done. I'm going to share some stats next week or over the next few weeks in this series about how many people have come to the Lord and how many people have been baptized and just all those different things. But I, I, I wanted to start with this. I wanted to start by letting you know I've been wrestling with some things. And I know water baptism Sunday might not be the perfect Sunday to share that, but I'm going to anyway. And I've, I've been wrestling with this question a lot Perhaps since we've moved into this building, maybe even more intensely in the last six months, I've been, I've been wrestling with the question, are we a good church, and, and I hope the answer is yes to that, but are we a good church or are we a church that's going to make history? That's, that's kind of what I've been wrestling with as, as a pastor. And, or, or I'd say it this way, are we impacting our city and are we changing culture? Because how many know there's a lot of churches in a lot of cities that if they close, that city or that community wouldn't even notice that they're gone? How many know what I'm talking about? You guys with me on this? See, we never, when we planted Radius Church, we never were interested in church membership. We always were more interested in church partnership. In case you don't know what that means, because that's real foreign kind of language to many, but membership is always looking for its rights and privileges. Have you ever been in that kind of place? It's always about what my rights are and what I get, and membership has its privileges and all that kind of thing. Membership is always looking for its rights and privileges, but partnership emphasizes ownership and participation. A partnership says it's not about one guy, it's about a whole village, and I'm going to own this ministry and own my part of the church to make it happen and to participate to make that happen. And I believe that is excuse me, partners are the ones that become history makers. Come on, I say this all the time, I'm not the hero of the radius story. In fact, I'm just one of the players. I just happen to be the one that probably gets the more face recognition but I'm just the tour guide, everybody. I'm, I'm, just the, I'm just Yoda. I don't even know if that makes sense. But uh, I, 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 yeah, a, a old looking, yeah, okay, anyway. But, but it's the partners that become the history makers. Here's my working definition for history maker. History maker is one that by acts, ideas, or existence modifies the course of history. That, I want one day that to be the definition of Radius Church. I want it to be the definition of every person that calls himself a follower of Jesus, that Radius, by our acts, by our ideas, by our existence in this community, we modify the course of history. That's what I mean when I talk about being a history maker. 
And so I've been wrestling with, okay, God, how do we do that? And I wouldn't say, how do we become that? I would say, God, how do we take that to the next level? I was reading this verse the other day, and it really jumped off the page to me. It's Acts chapter number 2, verse number 12, because it, it epitomizes how I've been feeling. I've been, I've been very amazed at what God is doing, but I've been wrestling with the perplexity of what is God going to do. Can anybody relate to that? I'm grateful for what he is doing, but I'm perplexed with what I sense he wants to do. And, and, and this verse says, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Now, I, I think you would have to agree, all of us like to be amazed. Am I right? If you don't amen that, let me put $100,000 in your bank and you say, "Woo, I'm so amazed. <laughs> And I'll take it, right? Okay, so I think we all like to be amazed, but I don't think anybody really likes to be perplexed. And here's one of the things I've come to realize in life. I think being amazed and being perplexed, I've come to discover they're a package deal. I don't know if you can get one without the other. I think they go hand in hand. It's the perplexities that drop us to our knees in prayer. It makes us ask questions that perplex us, like, oh, is today the day I ought to take another step in following Christ? Uh, Oh, is next Sunday the Sunday that I ought to begin the journey in trusting God with my finances? How should I contribute? What is my role? How do I help? What do I give? What's my role in the work of God? And it's in that prayer, it's in the perplexities of that prayer, it's in that prayer that I believe brings God's amazement into our lives. Because if, if we could look backwards, we'll say, wow, I, I was wrestling with that perplexity, and now here I am on the other side of that seeing God's amazement. Can any mature Christian say amen to that? See, here's one of the things I know in life. If, if you seek answers, you might not find them. But if you seek God, answers will find you. Come on, everybody. You see, we don't need to seek answers. We just need to seek God. God already has a plan. God was the answer before you even knew you had a problem. How many know what I'm talking about, right? Right. And if we're not willing to wrestle with the perplexities of life, with the questions of life, all we're going to do then is repeat history. And I think there's people here because you're trying not to repeat history. You're trying to break generational curses. You're trying to move further along than where you came from. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I would rather make history than repeat history. And so I've been asking God to raise up at Radius, not just another church in the valley, not just another Sunday gathering, but I've been just pleading out to God, God, raise up history makers, not church attenders. And Paul gives us a roadmap how to do that. So I'm glad you came today because I'm going to give us a roadmap how to do that. Acts chapter number 20, he begins, uh, and I'm just going to dive right into the middle of it because we're going to baptize some folks in just a minute. It says, and now, here's Paul talking, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Watch this. I I love Christians that act so sure of everything. Have you ever noticed that most Christians aren't sure until they get on the other side and see what God has done? And then they say, oh, I knew God would come through. (laughs) Yeah. I'd like to have a mid-journey interview with them. 
I'd like to have a pre-journey interview, and I'd like to see what they're like when they're not in church, and they're just at home going, oh my goodness, I can't believe God told me to give that much. I can't believe God told me to move there. I can't believe God asked me to do this ministry. Hello, somebody, right? And so I like how Paul, Paul's honest about it. He says, not knowing what's going to happen to me there, I'm going to start this life group. I don't know if anybody will show up. I'm going to start this church. I don't know if they'll egg me. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that, watch this. Here's some motivation. All I know is that hardships are facing me. Prison and hardship is facing me. Anybody want to sign up? (laughs) However, 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 I consider my life worth nothing to me. Ooh, that's missing in today's Christianity. Mm. My only aim is to finish the race, finish the calling, and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Wow, that is loaded with stuff right there, right? God was leading Paul to do something significant. And in, in that same feeling, I, it, that, that's what I'm wrestling with right now. That God, all he's done over these last six years is position us. But I don't want to stay in position. Come on, somebody. Uh, I, I recently told one of the elders, I, I shouldn't say this because some of you are going to misinterpret it, but one of the elders was asking me, Ken, how are you doing? And I said, right now, I feel personally for me and I feel like for our church, we need change and we need a challenge. Because without change and without a challenge, we become comfortable. And when we get comfortable, we become ingrown. And I don't know about you, but anything I've ever seen that is ingrown is gross. How many know what I'm saying? See, I'm not wired that way. I'm not wired to to get something going, get the engine started, and put it on cruise control. I'm not wired. I don't think God has us wired just to kind of just go with the flow. The machine is running, so just let it run. But maybe God's not just stirring my heart. I'm trusting that God will use this series to stir some other folks' heart so that we have a room full of history makers, and we earnestly say, God, why for such a time as this? Can I get an amen, right? Uh, And so if that's you, here's the four phases of becoming a history maker. They're all found in this verse I just read. I'm going to run through them real quick. Number one, if you're going to be a history maker or you're going to do anything significant for God, then number one, we have to listen to the Spirit's prompting. Now that's foreign language for some. Uh, one translation uh, talks about being compelled, or the translation I read says compelled. One translation says prompting. It's just that, how many know what I'm talking about when it's just that gut feeling? I, I don't even know how to explain it with not using spiritual kind of words, but I, I, I just call it an urge. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you got to be careful because not every urge is from God. How many know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, chocolate cake at midnight. That's not God. That's the devil. How many know what I'm saying, right? 
a gut feeling. It's just this, man, I just have this sense. There's just this thing that's gnawing at me. I can't get away from it. I can't tune it out. I can't run from it. It's been a month and it's still there. It's been six months and it's still there. It's been a year and it's still there. There's just this spirit prompting. See, as Christians, we got to lean in and learn how to hear God's voice. That's why we do things like this without a whole lot of promo for water baptism because I want you to learn not only how to hear God's voice, but to step out in faith and obey God's voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Paul says it this way. He says, and now compelled by the Spirit. The word compelled means an overwhelming sense to do something. Mm. And, and if you've been following God and you've never had an overwhelming sense that you have to do something, I'll just tell you, you haven't been listening close enough. Because that's what God does. He, he, he constantly takes us from one level to the next. He's constantly challenging our faith. He's constantly moving us from point A to point B. And he does that by compelling. He does that by this internal urge, this gut feeling. We'll, we might even call it the voice of God. But it's this overwhelming sense that I just can't get away from. Hmm. And, and, and if, here's what I know. If you're asking and you're listening, God will not only prompt you on big days or big ways, but God will prompt you in everyday ways. Mm-hmm. It's not just the big day. It's not just water baptism days. It's not just legacy Sunday days. It's every day, in every situation, in every work environment. With it, He will prompt you, and we can start being led then by the Holy Spirit. That's relationship, inside out, not outside behavioral modification in. Are you hearing me today? And, and so maybe he's prompting you right now. Now, lean into this, because you're thinking I'm talking about water baptism or legacy, which I am, but I'm going, I, I want you to think of it bigger than that. So maybe he's prompting you right now. Maybe he's prompting somebody today to get water baptized. He'll be prompting somebody today to give, turn their life over to him. He'll be prompting you as you're asking him about the legacy offering. But here's what I want you to see. If you say no to one prompting... You never know what you might be missing out on on the next prompting that you haven't graduated to yet because you keep saying no to this, you never get to that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, there's people that have been following God for a long time and you want to see God's miracles and you want to see God move and maybe God's in heaven saying, yeah, but I want to see you move. I I want you to do this, and and I want you to take that first step of faith. And oftentimes, if we don't allow this prompting to happen, we never get to move to the next level of prompting, the next thing God is saying. Hello, are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Um, And so you could be missing. So here's some just real basic questions. Here's a question maybe you've never asked while you've been at church. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? If I come to church and I hear a pastor preach whenever I get that opportunity, I'm always asking myself the question, okay, I heard that dude speak, but what is God saying to me? And so what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Now, here's a tougher question. You guys ready? Buckle up real quick, because here's the next question. The next question is, first is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Here's the next question. Why haven't you done it? 
I'm waiting for some big move of God. I'm, I'm waiting for some extraordinary thing. But what about the ordinary thing? Number two, if we're going to be history bakers, number two is I want you to know there's going to be certain uncertainty. <laughs> how, how many have been following God a little while and you know exactly what I'm talking about? Let me see your hand. Come on, help everybody else out that has no idea. I, I, again, I love when Christians act so sure about everything. Listen, I don't even need faith until I'm unsure about something. You see, it's easy for me to get up here and go, oh, it's great what God has done. We planted a church. Look what he has done. Yeah, but you didn't see me seven years ago. Seven years ago, I was quaking in my boots, all right, or my sneakers, whatever it is, all right? See, here's what I know. When God leads you to do something, he doesn't give you all the details. Don't you just love that about God? Come on, you ever seen a few good men? You can't handle the details. How many know that's true, right? Come on. Bunch of sinners, you ought to be reading your Bible instead of watching movies, all right? <laughs> uh, but isn't it true? If God gave us all, listen, when I was planting this church, when we were planting this church, if God would have given us all the details, uh, let me tell you, I would have run like Jonah, I, I would have run. Paul says it. He says, not knowing what's waiting for me there. See, we want to know all the answers. But if God would have showed me all the details, I would have run. And watch this. I would have missed the blessings of God. Psalms chapter 119 says that thy, your word is a lamp to my feet. And see, some of us, if you know anything about a lamp, a lamp lights up steps one, two, and three. But many of us won't take steps one, two, and three because we can't see steps four, five, and six. But I would submit you will never see steps four, five, and six until you do one, two, and three. Did you follow that? Right? Right, everybody? Yeah. God, God will stir some stuff in us. I'm, I'm just telling you, if you ask him, God will stir stuff in you. This is really going to mess with somebody's theology. He'll stir some stuff in you that makes you afraid. Oh, but we have faith over fear. Okay, preach that to somebody else. Because I know that God will call you to do things that are above your, your ability, and at least for a moment, it'll freak you out. I think that what God is asking, I think it should freak you out. Maybe if it doesn't freak you out, that's a Hebrew word in case you don't know. Maybe if it doesn't freak you out, you really haven't heard from God. Because when I study the characters of the Bible, God is always calling them to do something crazy that is beyond themselves. Number three, if you're going to be a history maker, the third thing is Paul says, I'm going to meet some resistance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet some resistance. What he says in verse number 23 is, is kind of like an eye-opener. He, he says, the only thing that waits for me is prison and hardship face me there. And that, Come on, this is a new life group, prison and hardship. <laughs> Who's in? Only the crickets, you know, church, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, it's like, and, and I love this because I think we've, we've adopted this easy believism in American Christianity today. But I want to be somebody that tells you this. It might be hard to do what God has called you to do. Mm-hmm. Mm, I didn't sign up for all that, Ken. It, it, it might be hard to give in the legacy offering. It might be hard to get on a dream team and give some time. 
and get here earlier. It might be hard to lead a life group. It might be hard to go to a life group. It might be hard to go to somebody and ask forgiveness. It might be hard. (sighs) See, I don't know where we got this idea that everything God asks us to do is going to be peaches and rainbows. I I don't know where that came from. Some things are just simply going to be hard because it's hard to be a history maker. And here's something I've learned from football. Your place of greatest resistance is the point of your greatest breakthrough. You ever watch football and like they can move the ball 80 yards like it is nothing. Like they just do it. And then they get down to this thing called the red zone, you know, the 20 yard or or even further, the five yard line. And they can't move the ball an inch. Why? Because the opponent knows that is the game changer. And I'm here to tell you the enemy knows that that is your game changer. And the point of your greatest resistance might be the place where the game changes for you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you willing to face opposition for your obedience to God? If you're not, you'll never be a history maker. And maybe the resistance is preparing you for what God has prepared for you, but you will never know what he has prepared for you because you won't let him prepare you. When we were starting this church, it's great now. We love, we celebrate. But when Patty and I were starting this church, it was lonely. We were living in an RV. We sold everything we owned. We would show up to these Bible studies in a coffee shop with a leaky roof. Everything we had in a Tupperware box. It was terrible. And, and we had just got settled back in Michigan, and God said, well, I'm not done with you there, so let's go jump back in the fire. I had a pastor in this town, no longer here, so I can say this, that was mad at me for coming here and, and started a lot of stories. Can you believe pastors would do such a thing? And, and, and at that time, Patty's mom was uh, passing away, graduating to heaven. We were doing our Bible studies and flying to Michigan, sitting by her bedside, flying flying back to do a Bible study in a coffee shop with 30 people and a leaking roof, and then get back on an airplane again and go back across the country and then come back. It was lonely times, Uh, and and, and then as we got on our feet, I found out that my dad was dying, and then all the while we were settling here and trying to start a church, I had family members from the other side of the family that decided they didn't want to talk to me anymore because I moved out here to be with this side of the family. Uh, Here's what I'm just trying to say. Don't feel sorry for me. God's been good to me, and God has blessed us. But I want you to know it's hard sometimes to do what God has called you to do. Come on now. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? (laughs) Some of you aren't sure if you want to clap because you're like, I'm accepting that. I'm accepting that. (laughs) I get it. I really do get it. All right. Let me give you the last one. Number four is there will be uncommon certainty. It's just like, I know it doesn't make sense, but I have to. Ah, I know, honey, I know we're saying no to a church that could give us a salary and a retirement plan and people. (laughs) And we're going to say no, and we're going to go back to the tulip town and start with nobody, but I just have this thing. 
That, that even if it doesn't go good, I have to do it. I have to please my God. I have to say yes to him because he said yes to me. I can't help it. I have an uncommon certainty. Not that it's going to go good. I just have an uncommon certainty that i got to do what God has put in my heart. And even if I'm wrong, it will honor God. Can I get an amen in here? We just had unfinished business. And, I, and, and here's what's the bummer. I knew that we had unfinished business. And God hasn't let me know what the unfinished business was. Maybe I've checked that box and I don't even know. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know that our business was not to come here and just do another Sunday morning church service in the valley. I know that our business wasn't to come and do what everybody else was already doing. And those, they're good things. And I'm not saying we're better. But I know that God would have us to be history makers is not repeating what's already done, but taking a step of faith. Oh, man, oh, man. To do something about fill in the blank. And there's a whole lot of words that can go in there. What are we going to do about this problem at, in Skagit County? What are we going to do about this problem in Skagit County? What are we going to do about this problem in Skagit County? What are we going to do about this? Come on, somebody. Right? God didn't call us to be a subculture here amongst ourselves and build our kingdom until he comes to protect us from what's going on. No, he called us to be a light in Babylon and go be the light on a hill that desperately needs Jesus. Amen, everybody? Come on now. So, so let me end with a question or two. What if we had a church filled with not attenders or members? What if we had a church filled with history makers? What, what if you leveraged your misery in life to become your ministry in life? What if we had the finances to buy a youth hall that would facilitate the teenagers of the whole valley? Where they could come every day to be protected, every day to help them get out of gangs, every day to get tutoring and homework and done, every day. What, what, what if we could do that? What, what, if we, what, what if we leveraged our influence and started another campus so we could have pockets of light all over that begins to invade the darkness? What, what if we started a clinic for those that can't afford to go to doctors or have no health care? What, what if not only we tithe, but our business tithe? What if not only that we gave in legacy, but this year we decided to let our company give in the legacy also? What if we realize that the church isn't after anything from you, but you you are the church, and we got to go and offer something to them. Come on now. Right? And Paul ends in verse 24, and he says this. He says, he says this. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing. Oh, wow. I need to pray that more often than I like to admit. Because every once in a while, I think my life is my life. And I want to do what I want to do. And I want to have what I want to have. And I don't, this is just for me, you guys, God, I don't want to give in that legacy offering because I've been saving up for a, and what it is is none of your business, but anyway, <laughs> you, you hear what I'm saying, but I consider my life nothing if only I may finish the race, right? I just want to finish the race. I want to hear well done. Come on, everybody. 
right? And, and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Missy used the whiteboard last week. I'm going to close with using the whiteboard. And uh, she did such a great job. Wasn't that a great message last week, everybody? I read this book years ago called Tribal Leadership. Um, and it talked about how when businesses start and, and the phases they go through all the way up to maturity and why some businesses make it and some don't. Well, when I read that, I, I attributed a lot of it to why some churches make it and some don't. And you would think all churches would make it because God said he would build his church, but all don't. And so I read some things, and then, uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to modify it to fit my message. All right, everybody? So I'm going to modify it. And so when we start a business, okay, when we start a business, we want it to, um, um, I have spiritual gifts, but one of them is I can't get the lid off the pen. All right. So, so when we first start a business, we start out and, and with the idea, I want to make, and, and, and what you want to make is you want to make a name for yourself, right? Any business owners out here? I mean, that's marketing 101. Like, you got to let people know you're here, right? And, and I'm, I'm going to open an ice cream shop, and so I got to have a good name and a good logo, and I'm trying to make a name for myself. And, uh, and then, so, so not only am I trying to make a name, i got to promote that name. And so uh, I, I want everybody to know that I am good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm the best ice cream in town. C come on, you guys following me, right? And so then that means there's an enemy, and that that, that means everyone else is the enemy. <laughs> How many know anybody that's ever lived life this way? I'm good, you're bad. You voted this way, I voted this way. I believe this way, you believe that way. And so, but in business, this is just marketing 101. Excuse me for a minute, I'll turn the corner here. But I'm going to start a company, I'm going to start an ice cream business, and I need to make a name for myself. And by doing that, i got to tell everybody I'm good. I'm the best ice cream shop in Skagit Valley. That means everyone else's ice cream shop is bad. That's what it means. I kind of started my ministry this way. I, in fact, I remember doing an interview to get my ordination, and I told the board, I said, I'm going to build one of the greatest churches you've ever seen. That's kind of arrogant, isn't it? Because, see, I was trying to make a name for myself, and I wanted everybody to know that I was worth it, that I was good. I matured a little bit, and I moved from trying to make a name to myself to try and then to make a difference in the world. Now, I'm not trying to make a name. I'm trying to be, make a difference. And, and not, now, I'm not good, but we are good. We're the good guys. That's supposed to be a W, everybody. We are good, okay? All right, that's shorthand, all right? We are good. Some of you are like, what's shorthand? Okay, yeah. Okay, we are good. And so then that means there has to be an enemy. So who is the enemy? Anyone outside. Let's scribble that out. Anyone outside our circle. Let me show you how this relates in church world. I know you might not get this, but in my church world, well, I've, I've matured a little bit. So now our church, we're trying to make a difference. We just want to make a difference. And, and I'm not good, but we, this church is good. We're good. And all God's people said, yeah, man, amen to that. Uh, and anyone that doesn't believe the way we believe or part of the denomination that we're a part of, 
<sighs> they're bad. If they didn't vote the way I did, they're bad. How many, have you ever been to church that all they do is preach things that all of us in the room already know? And so everybody's like, yeah, and then what we're doing is we're isolating everybody else that's outside that circle that's sitting in a chair that took courage to come sit in a chair. But then one day I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. There's one enemy, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this dark world. And it's not people outside our circle that are bad. It's not the Republicans or the Democrats or the gays or the straights or the blacks or the whites or the educated or the non-educated. I mean, the list goes on. None of them are bad. What's bad is Satan is bad. Can I get an amen right there? Come on, everybody, right? Satan's bad. It's the devil that's bad. And, and I realize, you know what? I'm not good. Please don't amen right there. I'm not good. And before you amen, you're not good either. You know it's true. Nobody said amen, but it's true. I'm not good. You're not good. But you know who is? Come on, somebody. God is good. And watch this. When we recognize we're no longer trying to make a name for ourselves, we're not even just trying to make a difference. When we recognize that Satan is the one that's bad, not people outside of our church or our voting demographics, uh, when we recognize that Satan that is bad, and we're not good, we are just sinners saved by grace, only God is good. Now, then when we recognize those two, we recognize I'm no longer trying to make a name. I'm no longer trying to make a difference. But Satan is bad and God is good. And that's when we can make, come on, can I hear it? That's when we make history, everybody. Come on, right there. That's when we make history. When we quit playing little weird churchy games and recognize only God is good. And he's called us to reflect his image in this earth. Now, I'm not going to reflect it in this earth, but I'm going to reflect it right here in Mount Vernon. Amen, everybody.